All right, so as I said, it's, it's very good to be back, and if you didn't know, I had mono last week. Well, I might still have it, so don't kiss me, but I'm feeling better. Uh, but symptoms started up about two Thursdays ago, and we had, on that following weekend, we had our Chi Alpha staff conference. It's, uh, it's a conference that happens once a year. It's probably my favorite conference I go to, and I was not about to miss that conference, so even though I had a fever, which I didn't know at the time, but I had a fever, body aches, sore throat, those kind of things, I said, I'm still going to this thing, because uh, sometimes I get FOMO. Is anyone with me? You don't want to miss out. You know, maybe you came tonight because you have FOMO. You're like, I don't really want to go, but I don't want to miss out on what's going to happen there, so I have to go. You know, if that's the reason you came, I'm glad you came, but uh, I hope that wouldn't be the only reason. But anyways, that was definitely the case for me that weekend, and to be honest with you, the conference was not enjoyable for me at all. On Sunday morning, we had church, and the band was just going, bow, chicka, wow, and just jamming. I'm like, will you just shut up? Can we just have like a keyboard and just sit in the presence of the Lord? So I was just not feeling good, but... Um, but part of the problem was I couldn't, I couldn't figure out what I had, and I had a sinus infection about two weeks before, so my doctor put me back on the antibiotic for that because he thought that's what I had again. So I was taking this antibiotic that wasn't helping. I was taking cold medicine, and nothing seemed to help. But then after the conference, I went home, and I got a blood test and found out that I had mono, and then the, uh, the doctor's like, get off the antibiotic. That's not going to help you. The doctor's like, don't take cold medicine. and said, all you need to do is rest and take Tylenol and keep taking it as much as you can. And as I did that on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, I started to feel better. I started to kind of get back into myself. As I was taking the right steps to get better, not just trying all these other things, but instead taking the right steps, I started to feel better. I started to feel more like myself. I don't know if we realize it, but I think for many of us in this room who are Christians, we live our lives like I did that, that weekend at the conference. We don't reach the full potential of what our life with Jesus is, is supposed to be. Like maybe we're a Christian, we've prayed a prayer of salvation, but we feel frustrated all the time. We don't feel like we're actually living our lives the way that God is calling us to live them. We feel handicapped, so to speak. You know, like some mornings during that conference, I couldn't even get out of bed. It was so hard to get out of bed. And sometimes we feel like that in our faith. Our, our relationship with God is frustrating and actually very discouraging at times. And then we look in the Bible and we see that these early Christians had joy in their faith, that they were willing to die for their faith, that they were getting free from sin, and we're like, why does my life not line up with that? Why in the world is my life so different than what the New Testament prescribes for a Christian? Why is my life with Jesus all about just trying to go to church and trying harder and maybe read my Bible once in a while, but these people in the Bible were like kicking back the gates of hell, getting free from sin, and bringing heaven to earth. Why are our lives so different from what the New Testament tells us? And I think the reason, like maybe, like for me guys, I've had that. You know, like, like I take three steps forward in my faith, or I take two steps forward, I take three steps back. Is there anyone with me tonight? Maybe you feel like that in your faith at times. And I think the reason we feel like that at times, and the reason why our lives don't line up with the New Testament is I don't think we're taking the right steps to be a healthy, vibrant Christian. I don't think we're taking the right medication, so to speak. I don't think we're resting and taking Tylenol so to speak. So the medication, okay, what's the medication? I believe the medication to a full, robust, joyous Christian life is a radical dependence upon and intimacy with God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit. We hear a lot about God the Father. We hear a lot about God the Son, Jesus Christ, but we don't know who the Holy Spirit is. In the Holy Spirit, if we look in the New Testament, he is the one who drove the engine of the church at the very beginning. Yes, they preached the gospel of Jesus. Yes, they had a relationship with their Heavenly Father, but the Holy Spirit was the one that was moving in their midst. And a lot of times for us, the Holy Spirit is like the crazy uncle. We're like, I don't really know what uh, that is. A lot of times we call him an it, although he's a he, and we're like, it's some force I'm supposed to harness. But instead, God wants us to have this radical intimacy and dependence upon the Holy Spirit. So I just want to propose to you tonight that if you relate with me, that if you feel like in your faith you take two steps forward, three steps back, that maybe you're not accessing the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe that that might be why. So tonight we're going to conclude our series called Hidden. And this series has been all about prayer and intimacy with God. And it's been an incredible series. It's probably been my favorite one this year. I encourage you, if you missed any of the weeks, go back and listen online. But the whole idea of this series has been that as we pray, 
and as we're intimate with God, that our lives kind of get hidden in him. It's like we come under his wing, come under his shelter, and our lives become more like him. And not only that, as we pray, as we depend upon him, the world around us starts to look more like God's kingdom. We start to bring the, or the kingdom of heaven to earth. The world and our own lives begin to become hidden in him. And as we've been talking about this idea, I thought it'd be appropriate to take our last sermon to talk about the only way that each of us can step into the fullness of what God has for us in our relationships with him. And that's through the Holy Spirit, and specifically being baptized in the Holy Spirit, being filled, or filled with the Holy Spirit. Maybe you don't know what that means, and I'm glad you're here if you don't, because that's what we're going to talk about. When we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, we grow in our intimacy with God, and we begin to have supernatural power in our lives, and we begin to see our lives line up more with what the New Testament prescribes. So tonight's sermon is called, it's called Wildfire. Wildfire. If we can become a people who are baptized and then continually filled with the Holy Spirit of God, I believe our own relationships with God are going to take off like wildfire. And I believe that the kingdom is going to expand like wildfire around us. And it's going to begin to look a little bit more like the New Testament. But before I talk about what it means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, as I know many of us have never heard what that is, I want to take a second to explain who the Holy Spirit is. Because like I said, for some of us, he's a crazy uncle or he's a force to be harnessed. So I have a few things that I think are important before we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The first thing is the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Okay, so as I said, he's not an it, he's not a force, but he's a person. The Holy Spirit has emotions, he actually has a will, he has feelings, he has a heart, and he's a member of the Trinity, and the Trinity also contains God the Father and God the Son. And, and the biblical writers refer to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit as three distinct persons. They are three different persons. They're not simply three different ways of looking at God. It's not like he has three heads and it's like three different ways to look at him. No, they're three separate persons, and each of them are fully God. And they're not just one-third God. It's not like the Holy Spirit is just one-third God. No, he is fully God. He's not just part. And while they're each three distinct persons and they're each fully God, they're also just one God. Uh, what? If your brain hurts, mine does too. And I just want to say that God does not fit in a box, right? If we could understand everything about God, then maybe he's not really God, right? Because his thoughts are higher than ours, his ways are higher than ours. It says that in Isaiah. And he's so other than that there's some things that are very difficult to explain. So if you can get those three things, then you're on right track with the Trinity, but I can't make it make sense to you. It still doesn't completely make sense to me. So again, three distinct persons, they're each fully God, and they're one God. Okay, so try to figure that out, have fun, and don't have, don't die while you're trying to figure that out, okay? So second thing about the Holy Spirit that I want you to know before we jump into the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit was only given to certain people for special occasions in the Old Testament. So the Old Testament is Genesis through Malachi, in our Bibles, and that was the time before Jesus came. And God would only send his Holy Spirit upon certain people for certain occasions. So specifically, he would send the Holy Spirit to help out his leaders for pivotal times. So prophets, priests, and kings would have the Holy Spirit come upon them, and then they would be able to do supernatural things, but then the Holy Spirit would leave. But the prophet Joel, has anyone read Joel in here? Okay, the super spiritual ones. If you haven't, it's okay. I probably hadn't read it at your age either. But Joel chapter 2, verse 28 and 29 says this. It says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Holy Spirit, or my spirit, on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, even on the male and female servants. In those days, I will pour out my spirit. So what are those days? They're talking about after Jesus came. Joel's saying after, he's not talking about Jesus. He didn't know Jesus was coming, okay? But he's saying there's gonna come a time, and we see the fulfillment in the New Testament, when the Holy Spirit is not just for special kings, prophets, and priests, but instead the Holy Spirit is poured out on all flesh, even on servants, even on old men, even on young men, even on men and women. The Holy Spirit is poured out on all flesh, and you'll be able to prophesy, so prophesy just means to speak for God. 
So that means that the Holy Spirit is not just for me, it's not just for pastors, but it's for you. And God wants you to prophesy on this campus. He wants you to speak his words on this campus. He has called you to have the Holy Spirit be on you at all times and in you, and for you to be his servant and his mouthpiece on this campus. Come on, somebody. That's exciting if you ask me that God has given us the Holy Spirit, every single Christian. So if you put your faith in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. Okay, and that leads me to the third thing you need to know. In New Testament times, which we're living in, the Holy Spirit lives inside of the heart of every single Christian. So tonight we're going to spend the majority of our time talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is the second experience that happens after salvation where the Holy Spirit takes over more of your life. However, it's important to know before we talk about that, that every single believer of Jesus Christ has the Holy Spirit living inside of their heart. Okay, so nobody's telling you tonight that if you're a Christian that you don't have the Holy Spirit. That's not what we're telling you. Instead, we're telling you that there's a baptism available for you where the Holy Spirit takes over more of your life. Okay, so in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, Paul says, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Okay, so he's saying that if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. Okay, so I want to establish that tonight, that if you're a born-again Christian, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Okay, the fourth thing I want you to know about the Holy Spirit is in the New Testament, he's most often referred to as our helper. Okay, so helper is a Greek word, parakletos, and it's a hard word to translate, but it, it can mean advocate, comforter, counselor, and helper, all in one word. And taken all together, this word, this word literally means one who comes alongside. Okay, so in the life of every believer, the Holy Spirit is your helper. He's the one who comes alongside. So in chapter 14 of John, Jesus says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, or parakletos, to be with you forever. And then in chapter 16, he says, he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth that is to your advantage. Jesus is saying, it's good that I go away so that the Holy Spirit, the helper, can come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. Okay, so Jesus says it's better for us to have the Holy Spirit than to have him here with us right here, right now. I don't know if any of us actually believe that. Because we look at the New Testament, we're like, I like to be with Jesus when he's raising up dead people. That would be fun to be with him. But Jesus is saying, it's better that you have the parakletos with you than that you have me. Because the Holy Spirit can go with you anywhere you go. But I can only, as a human, go with you to certain places. I can't follow you around everywhere. I can't be with everyone in every place. But Jesus says, the parakletos is coming, and he's going to be with everybody that believes in me at all times. That's incredible. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit, in this sense, of a helper. However, we can receive more of the Holy Spirit in overflow, if I could say it in one word, an overflow of the Holy Spirit through what the New Testament refers to as the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Okay, so in Luke chapter 3, verse 16, John the Baptist says this. He says, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Anybody want to get fire baptized tonight? We got some flames over here. Jump in. Oh, Jesus is saying that's what happens when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's like you're getting baptized in fire, not just water for forgiveness of sins, but fire. Like your life changes. You have supernatural power. You're God's mouthpiece. So the Greek word for baptize is baptizo. Okay, baptizo. And baptizo means to dunk, immerse, to go under, so to speak. And that's why when we baptize people, we put them under the water and bring them up. So Jesus is saying there's not just a water baptism available for you, but there's also a spirit baptism where the spirit immerses every area of your life. So this idea of being immersed or dunked, it means that the Holy Spirit touches every part of you. So when John says that Jesus is going to baptize us with the Holy Spirit, he means that the day is coming when the lives of God's people will be plunged into the life of the Holy Spirit with profound effects. I think this mainly looks like freedom over sin, like living the life that Jesus called you to live, and also power in your witnessing for Jesus on the campus or wherever you're at. How many want to be fire baptized? I want to be, okay, I guess just me, but we need to be fire baptized because I want power. I want the Holy Spirit to immerse my life. I don't want to take two steps forward and three steps back any longer. 
I don't want to be frustrated all the time in my faith. Instead, I want to be lit up for Jesus 24-7, not just at church and when the band's playing really well. I believe you can each live a life where you wake up in the morning and you say, Jesus, I want more of you. And you go to bed saying, Jesus, I want more of you. I believe that, but I believe we need to be immersed in the Holy Spirit. And this is what we're going to focus on for the rest of our time. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 19. And the book of Acts is the story of what happened just after Jesus left earth. And it's actually the second part of a two-part history, with the first part being the Gospel of Luke. It's in our New Testaments as well. It tells the story of Jesus' life. And then the book of Acts is like part two. Okay, And the book of Acts tells the story of what his disciples did just after Jesus left earth. At the end of Luke and at the beginning of Acts, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, okay, I've given you a great commission, which is this, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. He says, I've given you this mission, but wait to go carry out this mission until you get power from on high. Okay, so Luke chapter 24 says, and behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power. So what would it be like tonight if Jesus said, okay, guys, I don't want you to reach the campus right now. Instead, I want you to come to the altar and pray until I clothe you with power, and then you go reach the campus. So this is literally what he told his disciples to do, not here in Lang Auditorium, but in the upper room in Jerusalem. He said, wait until I clothe you with power. So what did they do? They waited. They prayed. They prayed, and they, they sought the Lord. In Acts chapter 1, verse 14, it says that they came together in one accord, and they prayed, and they sought God. Acts 1.8, it says this. It's another way of saying it. So Luke 24, we read Acts 1. It says, John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So if they were going to complete the mission that Jesus gave them, Jesus was saying, you need to be immersed, baptized, dunked in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit needs to take over every area of your life, because if you're doing it on your own strength, you're not going to succeed. So in Acts chapter 2, we see it happens. Verses 1 through 4, the disciples are praying, and this is what happens. So picture this happening tonight in Lang Auditorium. It'd be cray-cray, okay? So it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, I don't know if people say that anymore. Maybe that was like two years ago. But anyways, they're all together in one place. That's us. We're here. We're together in one place. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. So, like, picture wind just blowing through this auditorium. You're like, uh, we're not outside. This is strange. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And then divided tongues as a fire. Okay, so picture, like, little flames appeared to them and rested on each one of them. So picture, like, a little flame on your head. Be kind of weird, right? It reminds me of, like, Hercules. Or not Hercules, Hades and Hercules, the Disney movie. Okay, that's a side note. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues. Wait, what? Speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Some of you are like, what the heck is tongues? We'll talk about it. Okay, so on the day of Pentecost, the disciples received supernatural power and boldness, and the church took off like wildfire. On that day alone, so Peter, who had just denied Jesus three times before he was crucified, Peter gets filled with the Holy Spirit. He stands up. He preaches the gospel in front of people who who perhaps don't want to hear it, just after he denied Jesus to a little girl, so his life changed after being filled with the Holy Spirit. He preaches the gospel, 3,000 people get saved, and the church takes off like wildfire. It spreads throughout the Middle East, it spreads into Europe, it spreads into North America, it spreads into South America and Africa and Asia, and now the church exists on every continent on the whole globe, including Australia, not Antarctica, though, we don't know about them, but Everywhere else, the church exists. And it can be traced back to Acts chapter 2, when the disciples were baptized and immersed in the Holy Spirit, and they received power from on high to complete the mission that Jesus gave them. And I think sometimes the reason why we don't have effectiveness in our ministries is we don't have the power of God going with us. We're trying to do it on our own strength. And Jesus is looking for a generation of people that will say, I'm going to pray before I go. I'm going to ask for a filling of the Holy Spirit before I try to go complete your mission. And then when they're filled with the Holy Spirit, they don't sit there and just uh, try to have fun all the time in God's presence and say, this is awesome. I'm just going to keep singing. Instead, they say, okay, it's time to go. It's time to preach. It's time to reach people. And then when they get discouraged, they come back. They say, okay, I need to 
be filled with the Holy Spirit again. They get filled again, they go out. They come back, get filled again. That's what we see in Acts. We see that this wasn't the only time they got filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts 4, the same group of people came back together and they were discouraged because they were being persecuted and said, we need a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. Again, a wind comes in, shakes the house, they're sitting, they're filled with boldness. They go out again and they preach. They come back, they pray, boom, preach. And that's what Jesus is asking us to do. That's what Jesus wants for us. That's why we do things like heaven meets earth. That's why we believe in prayer and worship because we believe that our worship and our prayer should fuel our mission. And we believe that the Holy Spirit should be the engine that we complete our mission upon, okay? So I'm believing that we can see this kind of kingdom movement on our campus. I'm believing that Jesus wants to baptize every single believer in this room in the Holy Spirit. And he wants to spread the church throughout Norn, even Hageman, Ryder, Shoal, we don't know about them. We're still praying for them, but I'm just kidding. And Lather, Campbell, Bender, and even Dancer. I think there's one dude living there, like, like ninth floor maybe. Is it, is it Bender that's closed or Dancer? Bender's closed? Dancer's closed. Okay, there's one guy living up there, and, and he wants to reach them too. Sorry, it's a bad joke. And then he wants to reach Hawkeye Community College, Upper Iowa University, the city of Cedar Falls, Waterloo. I believe that Jesus wants to do it. I really believe that. But we need this baptism. We need an overflow of the Holy Spirit. Throughout the book of Acts, receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit was expected and necessary to push the church forward. It didn't just happen in Acts chapter 2. I'm going to put a list of them up on the screen here, all the times that people get baptized in the Holy Spirit. So I'm not going to go through all of them because we don't have time. But I encourage you to write these down and go read them on your own time to see that this wasn't just a one-time thing. So Jewish Christians get baptized in the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. In Acts 8, the half-Jews get baptized, called Samaritans, verse 14 through 19. Acts chapter 9, the Apostle Paul gets his own baptism story because he's a beast. He gets baptized in the Holy Spirit, the only dude to get baptized by himself. But anyways, Acts chapter 10, verse 44 through 48, we see that the non-Jews, so not even half-Jews, the non-Jews, the Gentiles, get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then something peculiar, or something peculiar happens. In Acts chapter 19, there's another group of Gentiles that get baptized in the Holy Spirit, specifically the Ephesians, the church in Ephesus. And I believe that the author Luke put this in Acts for a specific reason. Because if people only got baptized in the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, 8, and 10, so Jews, half-Jews, non-Jews, then maybe the baptism was only for each of these different kinds of people just to show that, hey, God wants every single person to be, every single kind of person to be in his family. But then we see in Acts 19 that this is 20 years after Acts 2 and a group of ordinary Christians in Ephesus get baptized in the Holy Spirit. They're not a new group of people. They're Gentiles as well. And I think what Luke is trying to show us is that this should be the expectation of every single church, every single ministry that you get baptized in the Holy Spirit. So if you grew up in a church that taught, oh, it's just to bring each group into the family of God, first the Jews, then the Samaritans than the Gentiles, that's just not true because Acts 19, it's still happening 20 years after Acts 2. And I think what Luke is trying to say is that this is supposed to be the normal Christian life, that you get saved, you get baptized in water, and you get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And there's no scripture in the New Testament that says it's supposed to stop after the Bible was written or anything like that. But uh, the witness of the New Testament tells us that in our churches, and our lives, we're supposed to see the Holy Spirit moving in power, doing signs and wonders, filling us. We're supposed to see that. So what I want to do is I want to read Acts 19 tonight. I want to focus on that specific story because I think it relates most to us. We're not Jewish Christians. We're not the first Samaritan Christians. We're not the first Gentile Christians. Instead, we're just like the Ephesians. We're just a normal group of people that are following Jesus, and we want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit as well. So let's read it, and then we're going to have three ideas from the text, and we'll be done. Okay, so it says this, and it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. So Paul's doing his thing. He's going around and meeting with Christians, and he finds some disciples in Ephesus. And he says to them, so these are Christians. They're called disciples, right? They're Christians. So he says to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, and to what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who is to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of Jesus. So after they're baptized, Paul lays hands on them. 
And the Holy Spirit comes on them, and they begin speaking in tongues and prophesying. Okay, so the first thing I think we need to get from this text tonight is it's possible to be a disciple of Jesus without being baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit. Our text shows us that we can follow Jesus, we can be saved, have the Holy Spirit in our hearts, as Paul talked about in Romans 8, how if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit, but not receive the fullness of the Spirit or the baptism of the Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not automatic at salvation. You're not guaranteed, if you're a Christian, to be immersed in the life of the Spirit. And let me say again, all Christians have the Holy Spirit at salvation, but they don't all receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit at salvation. Acts 19 shows us that there's a difference between just having the Holy Spirit in your heart and receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit that is promised in Luke chapter 3, verse 16, where John the Baptist promises a fire baptism. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus promises power. So let's read it again in Acts 19, 2. It says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. Okay, so you might be saying, why is he saying, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? That sounds like he's questioning if the Holy Spirit comes inside of Christians when they believe. An important thing to know is that the biblical authors oftentimes use different language from one another. And we see with Luke that when he says receive the Holy Spirit, he's talking about the baptism. When Paul would say, did you receive the Holy Spirit? He's talking about, as a Christian, did you receive it? And then he would say, be filled with the Holy Spirit to talk about the second experience. But for Luke, he felt like saying received captured that idea of being baptized. Okay, so if you're tripped up on that, I just wanted to explain that to you. But, but the Ephesians, 20 years after Acts 2, had to do the same thing that those first Christians did. They had to wait for power from the Holy Spirit. They had to pray for it. They, they were not guaranteed that power at salvation, but they needed the power to witness. And when they got the power, they spoke in tongues. A good, or a good way to think of this is, is to visualize a bottle of Coke. How many people like Coke in this place? Come on, Coke's my favorite. Derek tries to say I like Mountain Dew, but Coke's my favorite, okay? I'm not a Dewski guy. But anyways, I do like a good Dew once in a while. But Coke, <laughs> a bottle of Coke. Okay, so there's Coke in the bottle, okay? When you get a full, a full bottle of Coke. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit just like the Coke is full in the bottle when you buy it, okay? The Holy Spirit is in you. However, if you shake up that bottle of Coke, like shake it up real good, and then you open it, it fizzes over, right? And that's the idea of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Every Christian has the Coke or the Holy Spirit, not cocaine, talking about Coca-Cola, has Coca-Cola <laughs> in them when they believe. But Jesus says you need a little bit of a shakeup. You need an immersion of the Holy Spirit. You need to have that fizz coming out where the Holy Spirit overflows out of your life. So John 7 kind of alludes to this. So Jesus is saying, whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And now he said this about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive for as yet the Holy Spirit had, had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. I believe there's some of us in this room tonight who have experienced salvation. We have the Coca-Cola inside of us. We have the Holy Spirit in us, but we need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. We need to have power over sin. We need to have power to be Jesus' bold witnesses. And Jesus wants you to speak in tongues too. Just as Paul asked the Ephesians, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? I believe that Jesus is asking you tonight, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And if, if you haven't, I want that for you. That's what Jesus is saying because Jesus, again, does not want your Christian life to be the life of taking two steps forward and three steps back. He wants it to be a life of kicking down the gates of hell and being all that he's called you to be. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit is just one more way to get there. Okay, so I believe he wants that for you tonight. I think the second thing this passage shows us is we should seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit so we can walk in supernatural power. We see from all the accounts and acts that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, again, is not guaranteed at salvation. It can happen right around the same time as salvation. There's no reason why you couldn't put your faith in Jesus and say, baptize me in the Holy Spirit, and then boom, you're baptized. That could definitely happen. But they're separate occurrences. Verse 3 through 6, again, it says, Into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling them to believe in the one who is to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the, in the name of Jesus. When Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. So Paul was concerned that they were saved, but they hadn't received Acts 1.8. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses 
in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Paul desperately wanted the Ephesians to experience this. Okay, so why do we need the baptism in the Spirit? I'm going to say it again. Without the baptism in the Holy Spirit, we're not going to have the power we need to live the Christian life to our fullest potential. Here's something that each of us need to know tonight. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is not going to make you better than other Christians who don't have the baptism in the Holy Spirit. That is not what it's about. Uh, Some of the greatest Christians who have ever walked the earth actually didn't believe in the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And that doesn't bother me at all because I know that if they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, they would be even greater. Okay, because the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit makes you a better you. It doesn't make you better than other people. Okay, so Paul just desperately wanted them to, or to reach their full potential. So if you're in this place tonight and you need more spiritual power, if you need to be able to love Jesus better and have more boldness, I just believe that Jesus wants to give you the baptism. And the reason why I'm so passionate about this, I preach it every single year in November, It's because it changed my life. The baptism in the Holy Spirit absolutely flipped my life upside down. In high school, I was a lukewarm Christian at best. I drank a lot of alcohol. I partied. I did things with girls that I shouldn't have done. I was addicted to pornography. However, at the same time, I went to church. I prayed. I'd even invite my friends to youth group, and if they said they didn't believe in God, I'd debate them about it. Just before coming to you and I, I've shared this before, but you know, maybe you missed this, I had a, a radical encounter with the love of God. I actually met Jesus, I think, really for the first time, where he showed me that there's nothing that I could do that could separate me from his love, and his love absolutely changed me. I finally had a desire to really actually pursue God and not just go half and half out. However, or despite my pure desire to pursue him, I still struggled big time. I was still addicted to pornography. I still did things with girls that I shouldn't have. I was timid in my faith. Like, if someone found out I was a Christian, I'd be like, scared. Like, is that you? Like, someone finds out you're a Christian, like, crap, they found me out. Or like, you find a Christian in your class, you're like, yeah, me and you, we can stick together. That was me, I'm like, I'm a closet Christian. I just lived a life of compromise still, even though I had experienced God's love. I had changed a lot after that experience, but I still compromised. And then I came to Chi Alpha that fall, and our pastor drugged me to fall retreat. And growing up, I had some weird experiences with the Baptist in the Spirit. Like, I was in this crazy, crazy church. I was like 15. Like people were like shouting out in tongues. Like, the pastor pulled Derek aside. He's like 10 years old at the time. said, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And Derek's like, no. He's like, just speak in tongues. And Derek's like, shut, 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 shut. And then he's like, yes. <laughs> it's just a weird experience, okay? So that was my experience with it. The pastor's like, this kid gets it. This kid gets it. He's like, Daniel, you suck. This kid gets it. <laughs> and Derek's like, yeah. <laughs> I can still play that in my head. But, but anyways, it was just a weird church. I'm going to be honest with you. So I didn't have good experiences with speaking in tongues or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I thought it was cray-cray. And I thought it was just for like, like speaking in tongues was like for once in a while, in church, someone would speak in it, and then maybe someone uh, would interpret it, but I'd never actually really seen that done. Anyways, I come to Fall Retreat, and on Saturday, the preacher starts talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm like, oh, shoot, what is Chi Alpha? What is this crazy place? Speaking in tongues, I'm going over here. I don't want any of that. But then he started to show me in Scripture. I started to see it in books, or in the book of Acts. I'd never seen those passages before. I'm like, oh, it's been in there the whole time. That's what happens when you don't read your Bible. There's things in here that you miss, right? And I'm like, okay. And he starts talking about how how he was addicted to porn, how he's really timid in his faith. But then he got baptized in the Holy Spirit, and he began speaking in tongues, and his life changed. And I was like, I want that. I need that. Uh, So my friend that brought me to Fall Retreat said, hey, man, let's go up to the front and pray for that. I'm like, yes, I want that. I come to the altar about right there, and I just prayed like this. I began to feel like my tongue get heavy, which I'm not saying that's everyone's experience, but I just knew that I had a prayer language. I felt the power of God, and I just began to speak in tongues. And my heart just changed in that moment. I just, that whole morning, I just sat at the feet of Jesus, and I was like, I don't want to go anywhere else ever. And I saw people differently after that. Like, I saw people with the love of God. Like, not like, oh, they're just in my way. Like, oh, God loves that person. I should share Jesus with them. I became really bold in my faith, sometimes annoyingly bold. Like, I just, like, say whatever I thought about anything with Jesus. Like, 
call people out. Like, you know, sometimes you get a little cray-cray and you need to be, okay, I'm not going to say cray-cray again. That's the third time. <laughs> sometimes you get crazy, you need to be pulled in. But I got really bold. Uh, and so this was October 1st of 2011. And I believe that you can trace my life back to that moment. Everything changed. Pornography, the chains of that broke off my life. I still had to have accountability. It's not like I was perfect after that, but I was looking at it every day before. And then afterwards, something that happened once in a while, and I would have prayer and confession, all those things. But, but the baptism of the Holy Spirit changed the game for me. And I said, I said, okay, if, if the baptism of the Holy Spirit changed me this much, I'm going to preach it for the rest of my life. I don't care if other churches are teaching it. It's in the New Testament. It changed my life. I've seen it change other people's lives. I'm preaching it. And that's why in Kyle, for the last five years, I, I made a commitment that we're going to preach it. We're going to be unashamed in it. We're going to pursue it. We're going to have an event every semester where we go after it called Heaven Meets Earth. We haven't done it every semester, but most of them. And we're going to make it a foundational piece of our ministry. And it's been incredible as this last fall retreat, uh, John Kruger, Aaron Manning, and Connor specifically, I'm sure there's others, but all three of them came up to me and explained to them how they got, or explained to me how they got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And they described it exactly the same way that happened to me. John's like, and he's not here tonight, he's at a concert or something, but he's like, I just love everyone now. I just saw everyone different. I saw like their spirits afterwards. I didn't just see them as people. I'm like, yeah, that's happened to me, man. I'm glad you experienced it. And I just want you to experience it. So maybe like this is new to you, but I'm just saying it's a game changer. And it doesn't have to happen tonight, but I pray that you begin to be open to it. I, I, pray, that, I pray that you begin to ask God for it. Okay, but I think there's one more thing we need to get tonight about this from our passage. And, and something important, and I think is really cool about the baptism of the Holy Spirit is it's not just something like happens in your heart and you feel good, but actually if you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, Jesus gives you the gift of speaking in tongues, okay? So it's not supposed to be weird. It's not like, oh, I have to speak in tongues. What's up with that? It's this amazing gift that Jesus gives us to show that, hey, you've been baptized. It's a way that it confirms us that uh, we've been baptized, okay? So uh, let's look one more time. Verse 6, it says, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying, Okay, so we see that actually in the Old Testament as well. Uh, they didn't speak in tongues in the Old Testament, but every time the Holy Spirit came on someone, there would be prophetic speech that comes out of their mouth. The Holy Spirit is not meant just to be something personal and private. It's supposed to change the way you live. It's supposed to lead to an outward movement towards people to proclaim God's love and his mercy for people. And in the New Testament, we see that a common thread in all of the five instances is people speaking in tongues. Okay, so I'm going to go through this very briefly in Acts 2, the physical signs that happened was there was a mighty rushing wind, there were tongues of fire, and then people spoke in tongues. And specifically in Acts 2, they actually spoke in human languages that they did not know. Okay, so there's actually a big festival going on. And people from other countries were like, hey, they're speaking our languages. Okay, so sometimes you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, you might start speaking uh, some other language that's actually a human language. Okay, that's what happens in Acts chapter 2. We see as well that you can speak heavenly languages. Okay. In Acts 8, they're baptized in the Holy Spirit, and it actually doesn't give us a ton of details. You can look at that instance in your own time or in small group this week, but a group of people get baptized in the Holy Spirit, and then a guy named Simon comes over, and he says, hey, how can I buy that? How can I get what they have? Okay, so something had to happen that showed him that they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. We don't know for sure if it was speaking in tongues. It could have been prophecy. It could have been something else, but in the rest of our stories, we see that speaking in tongues is what happened, so I I'm assuming that it's speaking in tongues, but it could have been something else, okay? In Acts chapter 9, the apostle Paul gets baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then in, in 1 Corinthians chapter, I think it's on the screen, chapter 14, verse 18, Paul says, I speak in tongues more than all of you, okay? So Paul is the most effective Christian who's ever lived, and he spoke in tongues more than all of us. I'm gonna speak in tongues if I can, because if Paul spoke in tongues, I wanna speak in tongues, okay? Acts chapter 10 they get baptized, and it says they spoke in tongues and praised God or extolled God. Acts 19, spoke in tongues and prophesied. Okay, so common thread, speaking in tongues, speaking in tongues. Acts 8, we don't know for sure, so I'll tell you that. But the rest of them, speaking in tongues. Okay, so if you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, I believe that God wants to give you the ability to speak in languages that you don't know. So for me, I don't think mine's a human language. I think it's just an angelic language. I've actually Googled some of the words I speak, and... There's no language out there, uh, but there's so many stories I could tell you guys. I, this sermon could be three hours long, and it's getting close, but it could be long. It could be a lot longer than it is, but I've heard story, so I'll tell you one story just to show you this idea of human languages. There's a, a speaker I heard who growing up, uh, there's this old guy in his church who would always pace at the altar, 
and pray the same words in tongues. It was like the same phrase. He prayed over and over again. And him and his friends were goofy little kids, and they would make fun of him. Like, he only knows, like, two words in tongues, which weird kids making, that's what they joke about. But anyways, okay, so, and he knew those words, those specific words, okay? This guy becomes an evangelist and a preacher, and he travels the world now, preaches all over the place, okay? So he's in, in Zimbabwe, okay, doing ministry, and he hears someone at the altar praying those same words. He's like, huh? And, uh, and he says, what do those words mean? And the person said, these words mean, Daddy, I render you the highest praise. So the whole time, the only thing that the old guy was saying is, Daddy, I render you the highest praise. He had no idea that the language he was speaking in was a human language. He just said it over and over and over and over again. So some of you like, might get a human language that you don't know, and you're praying something like that. Maybe you have a heavenly language and you're praying something like that. But the point is your tongues are going to be praising God, thanking him for who he is, and you're not even going to know what you're saying. I don't know about you, but I want that. I want that kind of supernatural life. I don't want to just do Christianity, do religion. I want supernatural life. So what's the point of speaking in tongues? What does it do? Well, the, the New Testament gives us two reasons or two purposes of it. The first thing is it helps you to pray when you don't know what to pray. We're talking about prayer during this series. Like, how many of you, you sit down to pray, and you're like, I don't know what the heck to say right now. I'm talking to an invisible man. What am I supposed to say? I think, though, I think sometimes I'm like, God, I don't know, like, what's going on. I don't know what to say. And then I start thinking about my to-do list and all that stuff. But speaking in tongues is a way to pray when you don't know what to pray for. In Romans chapter 8, verse 26, it says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. So some theologians, and I agree, thinks that, or think that this groaning idea refers to our heavenly languages. It, it could refer to just going, I don't know. But point is, it's this idea that you're not praying intelligible words, but the Holy Spirit is praying through you. But then in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2, Paul says, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for, he, or for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. Okay, so when you're speaking in tongues, you don't know what you're saying, but you're uttering mysteries in the Spirit. Okay, the second purpose of speaking in tongues is it builds you up in your faith. In that same passage, Paul says, For the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation, but the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Okay, so like what Theodore did tonight, that would be a form of prophecy or speaking something that they that he feels like is for, or from God for you. And that builds us all up, right? We're all encouraged by that, especially if that spoke to you. But speaking in tongues does not build up anyone else, right? If I came up here and started speaking in tongues, you'd be like, okay, well, I don't know what that means. Unless it's interpreted, okay? We see in the New Testament, sometimes people can speak in tongues publicly and then someone else interprets it. Uh, so I could speak in tongues and then Ryan Schmidt stands up and interprets it. That could happen in this place, right? But... In the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that's not what's happening. People are receiving private prayer languages. They're all speaking in tongues. No one's interpreting it. And it builds you up personally. It doesn't build up the church, okay? So the second purpose of speaking in tongues is to build you up. And I don't know about you, but I need built up, okay? So last week, Derek, or Derek mentioned the story of the Chi Alpha at, at a North Dakota State University, okay? So that group grew from 60 students to like, 700 students in the matter of a couple of years. And there's actually one semester that they grew from 100 to 300 students. So we're about 100 students. Not tonight, we're a little bit lower, but typically we have about 100 students. So imagine if in one semester we grew to 300 students. That'd be crazy, right? Like that'd be the Holy Spirit moving. So Derek talked about how these students, before that happened, they would pray like in the middle of the night, they would go to the church and brew coffee and just pray all night long. But something that he didn't share is that right before this revival happened, a group of their leaders committed to praying in tongues for 30 minutes a day. They said, we're going to pray in tongues for 30 minutes a day. And as they did, that group began to grow. There's something supernatural about praying in our prayer languages. And last weekend at that Kyle staff conference, uh, when I was being grumpy and sick, that pastor was asked, how did your group grow or how is your group growing? And he said, I really believe that the main reason we've grown is we always preach on the baptism of the Holy Spirit 
and speaking in tongues. That's the main reason why we grow. We have sought that the whole time for, he's been in ministry for like 30 years. We've sought that the whole time and we've always made it a primary piece of our ministry. We always wanna rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that Jesus says the same thing for us. I do, I believe that, I, okay, so I'm gonna share this. This is something I feel like the Lord's revealed to me, but I believe that in the next phase of Chi Alpha in our region that the Lord wants us to be like North Dakota State University. It's one of our greatest Chi Alphas. They've raised up hundreds of pastors and missionaries. The group's grown to now they have about 400 students at least every year. I believe that's our future. But I believe if we're gonna get there, we need to focus on prayers we've been talking about, but also the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I believe that. All right, so the main idea tonight is this. If we want to see the kingdom expand like wildfire in our hearts and in the world around us and on our campus, we need to seek the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I think there's three, three groups of people here tonight. And I want to speak to each of you before we close. The first group is those who are Christians, but like those Ephesians, you have not received the baptism in the Spirit, or maybe you never even heard of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. If that's you, I want to encourage you tonight that there's no pressure in this place. You can be a part of Chi Alpha and not believe in this. If you don't want, I, I see it right here, but if you don't want to believe in it, that's totally cool. Like no one's going to grill you on that. You can be part of this community. You cannot seek it. But I just believe that God has that for you. I, I believe that God wants... God is desperate for you to open yourself up to being immersed in the Holy Spirit, not just having a little bit, but being immersed in the Spirit. In the book of Acts, the church regularly experienced this beautiful gift from God. It was regular. Every group of people, they're experiencing this. However, since then, the church has quenched the Holy Spirit, and oftentimes we don't seek more of the Holy Spirit. We think he's the crazy uncle or some force, and we don't really understand who he is. But tonight, I think... My biggest prayer for you, if you've never heard of it or, or you haven't been baptized, is that you would open your heart up to it and that you'd begin to ask Jesus, is this in Scripture? And you would search out Scripture and you'd read the book of Acts and you'd say, okay, Jesus, if this is in Scripture, then I want this. And you begin to ask him to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And I believe that if you do that, I believe your life's gonna change forever. It could happen tonight after service. It could happen in small groups this week. It could happen at Heaven Meets Earth on Friday. It could happen at Winter Conference. It could happen in the shower. It could happen in a vehicle. I've heard all those different places it happening. It could happen when you're skiing. I don't know. It could happen anywhere, anytime, any place. The Holy Spirit's everywhere, and He can move anywhere, okay? So I just pray that you'd open yourself up to it. Uh, secondly, I think there's people here tonight who have received it in the past, but you haven't continued to be filled with the Spirit. You haven't continued to pray in your prayer language and walk in the fullness of the Spirit. And you may even feel like, have I lost it? Have I lost this baptism? I want you to know that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is not a one-time event where you get a badge of honor and say, yeah, I've been baptized, y'all. But instead, it's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle of continually just waiting on God and saying, I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I need power from on high. Guys, every time before I preach, I say, Jesus, I need power. I don't want this to be my own words. I need power, and it's not just about preaching. Guys, I think before you go into your classes, Jesus wants you to say, I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit so I can be the son or the daughter that you've called me to be. So if you've been baptized in the past, it's not a one-time event. You need to be filled every single day. I like what one pastor said. He said, there's one baptism, but there's many fillings. Okay, so there's that first time event where you're baptized, but then you need to keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. After those Ephesians that we read about tonight were baptized in the Holy Spirit, years after this, Paul wrote a letter to them called Ephesians. And in chapter five, he says this. He says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Greek here essentially means keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. So being baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit is not a one-time event, but it's a lifestyle of continuing, or continuing to be filled. So Paul is, Paul is concerned, just as he was concerned the first time that they had not been baptized, he was then concerned that they weren't keeping on being filled with the Spirit. So tonight, if you've been baptized, but, but you're not living a lifestyle of the fullness of the Holy Spirit, get dunked again. Get dunked tonight in the Holy Spirit. There ain't no water we're gonna dunk you in, but the fire of God can come upon you and change your life again. I believe that. All right, and I think there's one more group of people here tonight. 
And it's those who maybe you're not even in right relationship with God. And you're like, I don't know what these people are talking about. It's weird, but it's kind of interesting. And it's got me listening, right? But tonight, you are not worried about speaking in tongues. You just want to be made right with God. And that's the whole point of the baptism is so we can preach the gospel and so people can be saved and come into right relationship with God. In Acts chapter two, after those disciples were baptized in the Holy Spirit, Peter got up on a rock and he preached the gospel and he said, hey, you all need to get saved. And then 3,000 people that day got saved. And, and this is what Peter said. He said, he said uh, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So Peter got up and preached what Jesus did. He said, he lived the perfect life. He died on the cross for your sins and he was raised from the dead. So tonight, if you need to be put right with Jesus, if you need your relationship with God restored, Peter is gonna say this to you. He says this in verse 37. He says, now, and now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized. He's talking about baptizing water. Every one of you in the, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so what Peter says is put your faith in Jesus, repent, and then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So tonight, if you're not in right relationship with God, Peter is asking you, I'm asking you, Jesus is asking you, repent. Get baptized in water if you haven't and then receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what God wants to invite you into. All right, so please stand with me tonight. We're gonna close. I believe that if we can be a community that pursues all that the Holy Spirit has for us, I believe we'll receive the same power that the disciples received in Acts 2, and that this campus is gonna be turned upside down for Jesus. Let's begin pursuing this. Let's make this a primary part of our life, saying, Holy Spirit, I need you. Jesus, I need you to fill me with the Spirit. I need the fullness of the Holy Spirit.